Welcome to part two of the 2019-2020 Duke Basketball Preview brought to you by Duke Basketball Corner. On this episode, we are going to give a thorough breakdown of the entire Duke roster with a couple added uh, predictions at the end, although predictions is probably a little more bold than uh, what we do. It's kind of just for fun, see like who will be blank on the team, but mostly it's just going down and I give just really thorough evaluations of each player from what I've seen. Some I haven't seen enough to really make any uh, concrete evaluations, which is should be very understandable, especially those who have listened to me before. I will say uh, for the, the for the Mike Buckmeyer Hive, I apologize. I didn't give... Um, I really didn't devote enough time to him, so that that's my bad. I will I will give uh, at least seven different uh, solo podcasts for him throughout the season, so don't you worry about that. Um, I'd love to know if I'm the only loser who thinks it's fantastic that Joey Baker's jersey number is a Baker's dozen, so I just wanted to put that out there. And, uh, I mean, one of the reasons that... I say like it would really be nice um, to for those who listen, listen consistently, because I mean, when you give analysis, I worry about repeating the same things over and over. But I do understand not everyone can listen to everything during the season, but try and uh, try, try and keep up if you do enjoy in the first place, because I mean, stuff like uh, Cassius Stanley and Vernon Carey. There is things I mentioned about them, like both of them, they have the ability to finish with the opposite hand, which I did mention and went over um, in the previous podcast, but I didn't this time just because there's so much going on. I, I, I don't have enough time to go into a marathon, and I mean, Cassius Stanley is mid-range. I definitely went into that. I mean, kind of went through the history of Duke mid-range players, talked about Luke Kennard a bit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's stuff that's always going to be like it doesn't go. I don't, I'm not going to repeat it every episode, but hopefully you'll join me every year. It's a pretty fun adventure for me. I obviously love Duke and just I love talking about them. So join me. I mean, this is very different from any other Duke podcast you'll find. And uh, if it suits your taste, then uh, write, uh, review, rate on Apple Podcasts, help others find it. And if you have a lot of passion for the team, if you want to talk about the team and you want to be consistently involved as a co-host, not a guest, uh, I am more than happy. I would love to have somebody to kind of ride along with me every time who is just as motivated as me, who wants to be involved consistently who can help me out so email duke basketball corner at gmail and i'll let you know more about that but please i'm looking for a uh, consistent co-host this season who is uh really motivated so uh hit me up for that let's get on with part two of the 2019-2020 duke basketball preview and here we go with a roster breakdown of the team trey jones Trey Jones, the first Duke player since John Shire to start at point in the last game of one season, and then the first game of the following season since John Shire did in 2009 to 2010. He's the first since Greg Paulus to be the uh, consistent starter all season at point guard for two consecutive seasons, which Paulus was right before uh, Shire in 2007 and 2008. That's been a, a long time since they've had really any sort of continuity at point guard 
what that means is kind of, I don't know. Because the way that Trey was used last year, I'm not sure how much it translates. I think just having the experience will absolutely help. And I think that his defense, maybe it can help with communication. And when, I mean, there's a reason like, I mean, it's funny on Twitter, I, I would always like hashtag it transition Trey. When he's out in transition, it's, it's nuts. He's ridiculous. The vision, the accuracy, the uh, anticipation, he's nuts. He wasn't used much in half court. So it's almost like starting from scratch. So it, it, it's odd that he was listed as a point guard last year, but since RJ Barrett initiated so much half court, he's now almost learning how to run a half court offense. And we're seeing the growing pains already, which I hope to see as much as possible early on and then dissipate. I mean, obviously you don't want to see him at all, but I've just kind of let him play through mistakes. Cause I mean, right now I would say there's a little too much of him predetermining what he's going to do. He actually drives a ton to his left, which is interesting. Um, he really likes going to his left and he puts his head down though when he drives and when he puts his head down, he doesn't see what's going on. I mean, the, there was two plays in the first four minutes of um, the blue-white scrimmage where Javin Deloria, he, he had him for uh, an alley-oop both times. Javin was pointing up. It's right there. You got, you got to anticipate that. Once Trey took a dribble too far in, it was impossible because by that time, the double had already come. He, he, he wasn't able to. I mean, and he predetermines like a shot. Like, I think there was one play he, – he – he didn't even have space on um, on Justin Robinson, and like he still tried to shoot, and Robinson just blocked him into oblivion. So I mean, Trey's just got like you have to be willing to kind of go to Plan B, and I'm sure he is willing. It's just a matter of experience. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it goes. There's been a lot of pick and roll, which he's kind of refused to dribble off when there's other options there, but. That's where, uh, I mean, they need to help him. They need to, there needs to be a lot of film work. I'm sure there is. I mean, because uh, there needs to be pick and roll. With a team like this, Kay's going to have to really be fluid. And um, I like seeing, it, uh, again, hurt at the elbow, making plays. That was a, that was a uh, strategic move, different from the first half. There's going to need to be something like that every game. Because you never know where the points are coming from. You never know who it's coming from. So there's going to there's they just there's going to need to be fluid adjustments. And I think the pick and roll can help that at times just to kind of see what works. And it's just really odd because I mean the Duke national pick and roll rank. This is just something I'll go down this list and it's crazy. Alright, so the first number I will give is the the rank for a percentage of the time, percent of the time they run pick and roll. The second number will be points per possession in, from the pick and roll. 2007, number 23% of the time, number 11 points per possession. 2008, num number 11% of the time, number 46 points per possession. 2009, number 36% of the time, number 38 points per possession. 2010, 116, ranked 116 for percent of the time, 19 points per possession. 2011, 51% of the time, um, number, yeah, uh, number 27 for points per possession. No, uh, 2012, ranked number 42 for percent of the time, 28 points per possession. 
2013. So they were pretty. I mean, right now they're not obviously at the way at the top of the top, but that's pretty good when you have a like what is it 353 teams or I mean maybe there's a couple less than that um, at that point in time. But I mean when you're ranking in the top 50 at least for for both of those numbers, that's good. Then it started. Then it was interesting because 2013. That was a team we really experienced, like, and I I wouldn't think they would even need it as much, but they did. They ranked si- number 61 for percent of the time, 144 for points per possession. So I don't know if it was the uh, lower ranking for points per possession that made K, stop, but all of a sudden it started dropping dramatically. So from a point where like they were around like 50 or a little bit higher every year from 2013 to 2014 2014 number 163 for percent of the time number 40 for points per possession 2015 number 268 for percent of the time number 4 for points per possession they ranked number 4 for points per possession but they only ran it 268 i mean i i can kind of understand that when you have Jaleel Okafor in the post you use it, you don't need as much um, but it just goes to show they were still doing, they were running it well. 2016, number 274 for percent of the time, number 67 for points per possession. 2017, here's something, number 297 for percent of the time, number one in the country for points per possession. Number 297 for percent of the time, number one for points per possession. 2018, number 311 for percentage of the time, 85 points per possession. And last year, they were number 341 in percentage of the time, number 91 in points per possession. 91, oh, it's, it's a little bit worse than what they have been, but there's 353 teams. Still pretty good. They're running it three, in the percent of the time they're running is 341 out of 353 times. Why? I do not know. And when it, whenever I bring stuff like that up, everyone's like, oh, college, they don't have, the, the spacing isn't the same. Oh, so the other college teams don't deal with that? Like, I mean, I don't I mean, so there was uh, 1,183 players in Division One who ran at least 50 possessions of pick and roll. And when sorting by percentage, Trey Jones, he ran at 16.2% of the time. He ranked number 1,102 out of 1,183. This is your point guard. So, and I know that was a... That was a more of a stat stat die than you're used to, but I think the point gets across of it's fallen off the face of the earth in terms of Coach K as the NBA gets more. I know not everyone uses it all the time, but it's a pretty point guard. It's a pretty pick and roll dominated league in the NBA, and these guys are coming to Duke to prepare for the NBA, and they're not being used in the pick and roll. That's why I, I've said before I question why a point guard would come to Duke. But, I mean, they do, and I'm not complaining. I'm not saying they shouldn't. But you got to know what you're getting into. If you can't shoot from outside, that's why this season is so interesting with Trey. If they can find a way to still have him productive in half-court offense, he's, I mean, it looks like he's, I don't know, would you go out? I mean, I was, I'm not going to say a lot better. I was, I was, I was trying to be, like, nice and say, like, it looks a little better. Would you, would you say his shot looks a little better? And it kind of looks the same to me, so. Yeah, I mean, it does look the same. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting in terms of when you when you go over that, like, why? I, I, I think it's just a matter of Duke keeps getting these guys who you can just give them the ball and say, hey, go get a bucket. And they do. 
I mean, you have Jason Tatum. You don't need to give him a, a, a high screen. He'll just beat his dude off the dribble. So you really don't need to have the most creative offense when you do that. And when you look at Duke's offensive stats over over the recent years, it's always amazing. So is it, so if you're complaining about it, somebody can just be like, oh, look at the stats. They're ranked like top three, top five every year in offense. Why are you telling him to change it up? This year, I would I think it's necessary because if they, I mean, they're still super talented, but just little minor adjustments each time, something like a uh, a Matthew hurt from the elbow, you can't use that out every game. Obviously, teams are going to. I mean, it's like a chess match, but it's the same way as the, like a little thing. Like when they played Syracuse without Zion in the second game last season, something like at halftime instead of having. Um, I think in the first half they had RJ just kind of set in the high post, like against the zone, what you're taught to do. Instead, they had Trey flash to the high post. Just that little adjustment. It was great. Trey had a a fantastic second half. Kind of reminded me of Tyus a little bit in the way he flashed across and hit that run and would hit those running jumpers. I think you just got to find what works for these guys. And it's just use all available options is what i'm saying and trey he needs your help Kay. so uh, i'm sure i'm sure coach k is listening to this podcast and it shouldn't be a problem um yeah i mean in 2018-19 the, the assists for trey from synergy i mean the first 12 games it's crazy he averaged 2.58 per game in half court and 2.75 in transition like no point guard averages more in transition it's nuts and clemson five half court four transition but then as teams started forcing Duke into more half court, the last 23 games, 3.52 a game in half court, 1.43 in transition. So he did start getting better. I mean, you don't know exactly where those came from every game, but it just showed he he can uh, he can kind of uh, he can dish it out in half court as well. Um, he made six of 11 on threes in the first six games of the season through Maui, and five of seven against Virginia Tech in the tournament. In the other 29 games, he was 16 of 85 for 18.8%. Yikes. All right, so Trey attempted more than two three-pointers in just one of his first 19 games, going one of four versus Princeton. In his next 16 games, when teams started laying off, he was forced to do so 12 times, shooting 18.2% in the 11 games, not including Virginia Tech. And in nine of those 12 games, he attempted more than three, shooting seven of 46, 15.2% in the eight games, not including Virginia Tech. So, I mean, the strategy against Duke was obvious. Teams started, I think uh, media started recognizing it really late. It was odd. They would, they would like, point it out against um, uh, Central Florida. Louisville was actually the first. I always say Louisville, and I'm sure anyone from Louisville hates me. Isn't that like Louisville? Whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, Louisville was the first team to uh, start doing that early on. Then steals. Trey's crazy game against a turnover-prone Texas Tech te- uh, team combined with a ridiculous first few minutes versus Cuse before he got hurt and a terrific team performance versus Miami. I mean, that led to really big steal numbers. And while steals at times can absolutely be a misleading, kind of noisy individual defensive stat, Duke's forced turnover stats plummeted as a team, especially live ball. And that, to me, was the most telling aspect of the season, the lack of getting live ball turnovers. So Trey's numbers, for better or worse, absolutely coincided with the team narrative, especially during the final stretch of the season. So I think it's interesting to just look at, to get, to just get a closer look at Trey and, 
why his uh, numbers fell off um, as last year went on and just kind of maybe some of the – what did he have, hip surgery in the offseason? Uh, I'm not sure. I know he had a surgery. I just don't well, – what, what did he hurt versus Syracuse? Was that his hip? No, he hurt his shoulder against Syracuse. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this, some of that was hindering him on defense. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, even after, like – because Louisville was the last game that Duke went crazy forcing turnovers from other teams. After that, it was done. Um, and that was when, like – I mean, I think Goldwire – he really showed me what he could do versus Pittsburgh before. I think most people recognized his impact against um, Louisville was the first time. But after that, I mean, I, I guess you could say he still made a pretty good impact at times, but even that didn't help create more steals. So I think uh, Goldwire will definitely get more minutes this season, but I wouldn't say it's like a guarantee, like they're going to go nuts on teams like I think most people think it'll be. I mean, when you look at their on-off stats, I mean, Duke's defense was a lot more efficient on defense um, with the two of them in. It hurt the offense a little bit, but we'll see if it is uh, consistent throughout this season. So I just think Trey, he's got, he's got to uh, really just, I mean, it's develop as a point guard. I mean, the first game against Dotson, Dotson's a Quick little sucker for Kansas, man. I mean, that's going to be a fun matchup. He's got Dotson, and then he's got uh, Cassius, um, Cassius Winston. So those are some fun matchups early in the season. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Trey, everyone expects the defense where it's kind of a wait and see with the offense. I think there was a, too much overreaction with the uh, the blue-white scrimmage. I mean, if you, if you didn't see it, um, not you, Joe, but anyone – he his his mother was declared cancer free, I believe October fifth, after uh, battling um, cancer for or at least a uh, there, there was there was an issue um, for almost a year, and I mean it was just like he was parading her around all proud. I mean that's countdown to craziness. That's your player intro. It's your mother. There's a lot of emotion going on there. I mean, it's, it's your team after really playing the fourth fiddle last year to Cam, Zion, and RJ. It's your team. You are showing off your cancer-free mom. Let's let's give that dude a freaking break um, that he didn't make all his jumpers. So, yeah, I, I mean, I know there's an overreaction to everything, but I think with Trey, it's a wait and see for his offense. But definitely, I think it's it's – correct to uh, have high expectations of what he can do on defense. Is there anything else you have uh, to say about um, what you've seen from Trey, what you hope for Trey, how you feel um, Kay can use him, how you, what he can pair up with or anything? No, I think he covered it pretty good. I just think that we're going to have to play two Trey's um, skill set a little more and, and let's not expect him to be a knockdown jump shooter this year. That's really not his game. So just, Excited to see him maybe being able to move the ball around a little more in half court and maybe some of these guys can knock down some shots for him. Which is a really positive sign. There are very few point guards under K who have been allowed to shoot off the bounce whenever they want. And it looks like K has that. It looks like Trey has that freedom. Like whether it's in transition or whether it's in half court, it's not just that. It's not the catch and shoot role 
that's all, that I get so sick of with point guards. It's literally like a Jay Williams. Right. You remember, what Jay, Jay Williams can just shoot whenever, off the bounce, anytime he wants. And, uh, I mean, Will Avery, who made K crazy, same thing. Um, there's not many, I mean, Kyrie, with the little time he spent, I mean, same thing. I mean, guys who have, that's it, it's it's a good positive sign just in terms of trust, and that is not something you see with uh, point guards. If or if you do see, chances are they're going to be on the bench after they take that shot. And uh, look at the history. So that's just something I've noticed. All right, Matthew Hurt. There's two players who Matthew Hurt is generally being compared to. And uh, to me, I think while you can see kind of the qualities being dis- being discussed in him, I think it's more of a give and take and a happy medium between the two. And those two are Ryan Kelly and Brandon Ingram. Some forget how it took Brandon Ingram quite a bit of time to adjust to the physicality of the game. I mean, there was some uh, – on these podcasts, I-, I will do as best I can. Like, I know – I'll try to avoid mentioning Twitter as much as possible and not spending much time on it this year. There was, there was a lot. There was a lot of negativity about Brandon Ingram. Just, I mean, there's negativity about everyone. But um, yeah, I mean, Brandon Ingram got uh, there. The people were hard on him, and I mean, once he really got used to it and kind of adapted and adjusted, then it was on. But it did take some time, and uh, Matthew Hurt kind of has that same length to him as Brandon Ingram. I would actually say Justin Robinson. His body type is the most similar to uh, Brandon Ingram, not skill set. Um, just in terms of defense, I think that's why K, he's been so high on Robinson. He's so long. Um, but in terms with Hurt, not as athletic as Ingram, he kind of has that same. He has the body type of Ingram, but this, but the uh, I guess the athletic ability of Ryan Kelly, but not. I mean, Ryan Kelly's that's lower. But yeah, I mean, as I said, it's kind of a happy medium between the two. So and that's nothing. Overly positive or overly negative. I think Hurt can be a great player. I think consistency is something you are going to expect from him. I'm not sure if you can get going to get the highs that kind of the highs you get from these alphas that come to Duke, like a, like a Bagley, like a, like RJ, guys like that. I think right now he's still adjusting, and he is the strength is not his strong suit. So we'll see what he can do to still find a way to uh, kind of enforce his game, to try to to try to try kind of enforce his game on others. Because if he doesn't, I think the issue with him is what happens when he's forced to play at uh, a little faster than he wants? Because he really likes playing at his own pace. And guys are just going to try to uh, mess with that. And if he's not... Uh, he's not ready for it it's going to be a struggle i mean even early on i think it was against jack white when he 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 had trouble scoring against jack white inside he had trouble getting his shot off and he was still able to at times but i mean jack white he he's a little bull i mean he's but matthew hurts a lot taller than him so it shouldn't even be an issue i mean you see a smaller guy on you 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 take him in the post and hopefully these guys who i say need to improve I mean, I said that before about Trey. I didn't say um, just when we were talking about him. I will repeat. He needs to get a lot better at not just uh, throwing entry passes, but recognizing when to and the angles. The angles are important. So I think Hurts got to work down low when he can, but like against Kansas, I mean, extend him outside, work those bigs. He's probably going to have 
um, D'Souza, and I got a I, man. I just had a podcast. I got to look up the guy's name. Um, who uh, they're going to be going against? But uh, yeah, I mean, it's two guys who are not going to be able to move nearly as uh, swiftly as as um, as Matthew Hurst. So he need, he needs to absolutely take advantage of that. So um, let, let me see here. It, McCormick, David McCormick. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, DeSouza may start, McCormick may start, but uh, yeah, he's going to have that advantage on offense. Defense, we'll see. I mean, defense is going to be interesting to see how teams work him. He's 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 passed pretty well. I don't. I, he hasn't really been too much of a playmaker for others. But there was one play, if you remember, where he hit Jordan Goldwire, um, cutting from the baseline to the rim. That was beautiful. And when you're facing up from the elbow, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, he can kind of be that almost a point forward type. I don't want him running the offense, but just allowing him to make plays from from the elbow there. So just props to Kay for using him that way. And um, just in terms of uh, the sets that that, that were used there um, with horns. That's just what I was trying to think of where, I mean, that allowed Trey – to kind of allowed him to pick a side and, and go around. There's many ways to use horns. And I, sorry, I don't want to go back to try. I mean, Matt, Matthew Hurt. I think there's a lot of possibility. I think with his strength, it's going to be a kind of wait and see because he hasn't gone against guys that can really challenge him from a physical standpoint. So Duke's not going to play a lot of teams in non-conference that will do that. But uh, it'll definitely be Michigan State, definitely Kansas, and. Uh, I mean, if they play, like, Georgetown, if Georgetown beats Texas, I know, like, Omer Yurtseven, I'm pretty sure he's a stretch four. I don't know if they play him at the five for Georgetown, but I don't know. I mean, that could be interesting. And on defense, we've seen Hurt. He can play the five at times. I don't want him stuck in there. But uh, he was kind of switching off with Jack White um, for a little bit. I mean, Jack White, that guy has no fear. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see him play the five at times. But uh, defense... Hurts move. He's moved his feet pretty well, but I, I just I think it's more of a. I mean I don't want to just kind of just start speaking just to speak. I think it's wait and see on Hurts' defense because I don't think he's been challenged, and I don't really think I've seen anything that allows me to project anything. So just in terms of what you've seen from his offense, from his defense, off ball, decision making, uh, Matthew Hurt. What are your thoughts? I like Matthew Hurt. I think he's the missing piece. That, well, one of the missing pieces that we've. You know, one of the main things we've been missing is a guy that can step out and stretch the floor a little bit, bring a big out there, and hopefully that'll help us with rebounding and maybe clog the paint a little less. But, I mean, we'll find out soon enough. I mean, we'll find out in a couple of days, defense-wise, defense where where he may be in terms of players taking him inside. So, because I'm sure that's, you know, what Kansas is going to focus on and, you know, he's not very big. He's not very strong-looking. But he, uh, from everything I've seen, everything I've heard, I mean, he's he's a better defensive player than we may give a credit for. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely a wait and see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if he's not overmatched physically, then it, there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, and just in terms of uh, Champions Classic, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because, I mean, two years ago, I mean, I had been screaming for Grayson to play off ball constantly, and he finally was able to play off ball as a senior, hit like 7 million threes in that uh, game versus Michigan State. I was so excited. 
and they, then they moved him on ball. So basically, what he showed in the Champions Classic didn't amount to anything. And Marvin Bagley got poked in the eye, so so he only played half the game. And then last year, I mean, Duke just trounced Kentucky, and nothing applied. So I think, I mean, there's there's legit takeaways you can make. Uh, if it calls for it, but yeah, I think it's it's it'll be fun either way. I'm not sure if we'll see anything definitive, but there's always a chance. I mean, I'm not saying to dismiss anything. I think it's just kind of it's it's a wait and see. I think it'll be great to see them against legit competition because though Northwest Missouri State was um, good competition, I don't think it was the type of competition in terms of the lineups and the matchups that will be similar to what they'll see from most opponents. Vernon Carey. Vernon Carey did a good job. They, they played through him at uh, blue, with the blue-white scrimmage. After um, When I did the podcast after that where I broke down the blue-white scrimmage, I mean, I gave a million qualifiers for everything. I just gave my opinions of each play and what I saw. And, I, and one thing I said about Vernon Carey was I was interested to see if it was one of those types of games where everything just goes right or if he's really this efficient because – it wasn't like he was a high usage guy. It's just everything he did worked. And I'm not sure that was going to happen moving forward every game. I mean, chances are, no, I mean, it doesn't happen for anyone every game. But it's how he looked to me while he was doing it that I was going to keep an eye on for the scrimmages. And, yeah, I mean, nerves really played a factor with him. It was, I mean, with Northwest Missouri State, that's about as bad a matchup as possible on defense and we never even saw it on offense much because of the foul trouble, but he got position. And I think what we saw is when he got position, the uh, the wings just didn't get him the ball enough, nearly enough. Because, I mean, when you have a guy with that type of size, so I think that should teach everyone a good lesson of this is a guy that, even though he's still learning, reward him. Reward him when he, get, when he gets position. I mean, I've kind of already gone over this, so I don't want to harp on it too much, but... I mean, I don't know. I find it pretty nuts that he's never played in the post before coming to Duke in July. I mean, I understand how these days bigs can understandably be taught to uh, kind of play out than in. But to never be put in the post when you're so much bigger than everyone is, I don't know, it's kind of wild to me. So uh, he has really good instincts, I'm a bit reminiscent of uh, Jaleel Okafor on offense. But as I mentioned before, there's some things reminiscent of Jaleel Okafor on defense as well. He was doing what I consider a solid uh, to above-average job of getting position, sealing off his man. As I said, guys just weren't hitting him. He was getting the rebounds, uh, and, I mean, it's just he really didn't get enough minutes to show much of what he could do on defense against Northwest Missouri State, and I don't – I mean, the – what was the team again? Like Fort Wayne State? Fort something? Fort Valley. Fort Valley State, sorry. No disrespect to them. I don't think – I mean, that game, I, I have no t- – I mean, it's literally – like last year when Duke was, like, beating Stetson by, like, 3,000. I will, I will like, rewatch and track every game. I don't even care about those games. Like, I, I'm not even sure oh, – I think I made a promise to somebody at that point in time that if, if I didn't – that if, if, that if I uh, went through with plans for those types of games, then I would have permission to uh, um, just basically plant myself on the couch for the entire, like – January, February, and March, like like a like a true slob. So uh, I, I'm not even sure if I even watched those games at all. The ones where they just won by a thousand. What was that against? Yeah, Eastern Michigan. They played that Eastern Michigan game too. No, where no, they no, won. no, no. I saw the first couple. It was it was once. It was after Indiana. 
Then there was this run of like between Indiana and uh, Texas Tech, there was just this like five game run of like they just beat teams they absolutely annihilated. Like and none of them, all of them were ranked like wait like none of them were legit. And there were no takeaways, and everyone was so thrilled because Duke was winning by 5,000. And it skewed the stats to the point of, like, making it tough for people to agree with my my valid analysis. And I'm just like, no, take those stats away. It skews them. But anyway, yeah, I mean, those games – I mean, that, so the Fort Valley State was kind of like that. So, I mean, Ver- Vernon Carey, I think it's uh, – can he stay on the floor? I mean, teams are going to go at him, try to get him in foul trouble. So let's see if he can if he can find a way to play smart while still being aggressive but not over aggressive because he he's the he's the big man he's the by far the biggest player Duke has a lot of bulk he can use that to his advantage yeah so we'll see if what happens if he plays a team with smaller guys like like a stretch four I mean Bill Self as I when I talked to C J Moore Bill Self he's known for having two bigs but he actually he'd rather play with the like I I I mean he wishes he had Matthew Hurt to play with that stretch four like we have now so I mean when Duke in 2018 it was uh and uh D'Souza surrounded by four shooters and Duke changed their entire zone defense that game just to make me crazy so I mean and they hit a bunch of threes so I mean that's what that's what he wants so uh I don't know Vernon Carey we'll see how he works out I, I think He's almost entirely a wait and see. I've liked what I've seen from the decision making, but I think it's just a matter of not making silly mistakes at this point, getting settled in and not letting the emotion overtake you. Because once he really gets a handle on this, the speed of the game, I think then that's when you can start feeding him more and then he can he can attack. So Vernon Carey, I wish I had more to say about him so far, but unfortunately the one game which maybe could have showed me a little bit he just didn't get much playing time and when he got positioned they didn't get in the ball i mean yeah well, well again another one that we'll wait and see i mean i'm excited so here, here's my take i'm excited about tuesday and i am not excited about tuesday like for there's two different sides so i'm excited to see where we're at in terms of a team and and to see vernon carry against i mean isabuki's grown man so against types of players like that I'm interested to see you know, how these guys react in, in a huge environment, which the Garden will be. Um, but also, I just I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know if we're ready yet. You know. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we'll know more on Tuesday. But I do like the fact that that Kerry has shown some some skill in the post because he's going to have to. But what worries me is he's all we have in terms of a big. So. That they could play that type of big. I mean, I know that some guys can play bigger than they are, but in terms of size to size matchups, I mean, Azubuke, I don't know if they have any eight footers at Florida State this year that he's going to have to worry about like they do every year, but um, I mean, he's legit all they have in, in terms of size. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of a scoring threat, absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, it's scary. You can definitely play through Javin, but if teams like are smart enough to just play off him, then I think his. Which I think they will be. Yeah, I mean, I would assume. Um, so his threat passing to be a passer won't be such a threat. I think actually uh, the Northwest Missouri State game, I think he he got hosed because there were a bunch of turnovers that got charged to him, which were not his fault. 
Um, so I think the stats really lie there. I think he was actually – I mean, he, he's everything you would hope. I mean, don't just – all I all – I, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it. Just don't shoot threes. Um, all right, so uh, Alex O'Connell. I think this is somebody who I think – there's a lot of different opinions. And, I mean, I hate, I hate the qualifier of I hope I'm wrong on this. Like, when people say that, like – I'm never rooting for any of these guys not to do well. I'm I'm always if I say anything negative, of course I'm hoping I'm wrong. Like I want Alex O'Connell to do well. But here's the thing. All right, so Alex O'Connell definitely has a fan club. That's definitely for sure. I mean, most people who don't understand or don't care why he hasn't played more, I'm not saying K always makes the correct lineup choices, but O'Connell, if nothing else, makes it tough for his supporters to make an argument. I mean, but opportunities will definitely be available this season. And plenty of guys have made major breakthroughs in their junior season. So I'm not someone who counts anyone out. But from what I've seen so far in the obviously super important blue-white scrimmage and exhibition games, his issues really still are what they were. So, I mean, starting off with the shooting. I've been very vocal throughout his two seasons that when Duke faces a zone, get O'Connell in there. That's, that's when he shoots. I mean, Syracuse. He was 10 for 17 from deep against Syracuse last year, from from three. 10 of 17. So, yeah, he shot 16 of 32 from three versus zone. Yeah, if you you have a guy shooting 50% against his zone, hell yeah, you get him in there. How about versus man, which is what the majority of teams play? Oh, wait, no, he shot 30%. Yeah, so he averaged 1.25 points per possession against zone, putting him in the 91st percentile overall. His three-point shooting was in the 92nd percentile. Against man, his overall points per possession dropped to point to 0.81, ranking 39th percentile. Three-point shooting ranked 35th percentile. As for the other aspects of his game, I mean, the, his athleticism, the off-ball movement, and general activity are all fantastic, for, especially for this team, which is lacking an overwhelming amount of playmaking off the bounce. I mean, it's just the shots, some of them are just unlucky, but they're not falling. And when he passes off the bounce, it, I mean, a lot of times he he throws it really hard at close range to bigs who just, and a lot of times they're behind the bigs and the bigs aren't ready. So, like, he needs to chill on that because, I mean, I think I counted three times in, um, it was either in Northwest Missouri State or uh, the Blue Ice Grange where he would just chuck it at a big like two feet away. And, like, the big would get the, the turnover charged to him. And it's like, no, that's not their fault, really. So, O'Connell, I mean, he's just so excited. Like, the, the excitability factor for O'Connell, I mean, he's always very excited. And he's always energetic. And it's great, again, for this Duke team. Um, on defense, gets beat too often and too easily off the dribble. Like, all the time. And awareness is still an issue. Like, I mean, Cassius Stanley literally backdoored him twice in a row, two straight possessions during the blue-way scrimmage, once from the left wing and then uh, all the way above the break. I mean, that's just something you cannot let happen. Like, no, like you cannot let that happen. The awareness needs to be better. I mean, Alex O'Connell, I will say, he did the impossible. He actually accrued negative stats with Zion Williamson, negative team stats with Zion Williamson. Like, to look at all the team stats together and just like two on off, I mean, you put anyone with Zion Williamson, they're going to do well. 
It's funny. I'm so I don't do the plus minus stuff. I think points you have to look at why they happen. So I go more with efficiency, which kind of collects all the information. So the, when Zion was on and O'Connell was off, it was a plus twenty eight point one six net efficiency. When when um they were on together, it was negative point one point two two. It was actually a negative net efficiency. With, with Zion Williamson, you look at all the Duke lineup combos, a lot of the negative ones, pretty much all of them involve O'Connell. So, I mean, when you apply that information to what you're seeing, it's kind of understandable why it's just tough to play him. If, if no matter who you put him with, no matter what combo you put him with, the team's play suffers, then eventually you're just going to have to say, like, man, I don't I, – I'm not sure – what we can do. And I mean, when they played him, I mean, he's, he's going to be aggressive. I think that's his role just to kind of, you put him in there and just see if he can be a microwave off the bench. And if it works out great, if not, then try to find other guys and just hope you catch him on the right day, I guess, because I mean, he's definitely not shy. He's definitely not afraid to put anything up. He's definitely making plays for others. I mean, uh, in one of the uh, exhibitions or blue white scrimmage, he, he actually, off the bounce, he made a great play for a job in Delorier. Duke ran a play for him um, in one of those uh, horn sets. Um, same type of play they ran in 2015 to get Winslow the ball and Grayson. I mean, that's the type of play you run when you're when for someone who can create off the bounce. Again, Duke doesn't have many of those guys this year, so O'Connell. I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities, and he's he's going to be able. To play through mistakes so he just he has to take advantage of that i mean he's he for his fan club and hey i, I would love to see him do well again i mean he's he's got he's got to prove himself worth it because when people just give the stats for his shooting i mean it's all like anything good those good numbers they're all from zone what do what do the uh majority of teams play not zone so he, he's I mean, and uh, yeah, in the exhibitions, I mean, he's played against man and he hasn't made shots. So I'm not saying he won't. I mean, the shot looks good coming out of his hands. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So I mean, O'Connell, I struggle with because I love the activity he creates. But I mean, just what I mean, that's when I had to. I actually tracked all the plays in uh, the blue white scrimmage up until like eight and a half left. And when he got backdoor twice in a row by uh, Cassius, I turned it off. I couldn't take it anymore. So, I mean, that's like, I'm rooting for him, but man, he makes me crazy. So, uh, any thoughts on uh, Alex O'Connell? I think I, I think you're right about the fact that, I mean, he has to play through um, through mistakes because he's going to make them, A. And B, he's going to, I mean, we need him to bring something to the table and consistency on the offensive end. So, granted, he's not the greatest defender, to say the least, but... What he brings on the other side of the floor and the spacing that he'll create on the other side of the floor, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm excited to see him, how he reacts to, to a more of a consistent role, I guess. So we'll see. Hopefully maybe he can get some continuity out there and, and, and get a little more consistent with his jump shot with with some more opportunity. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just need to, I just need to hit to see him do it against man. I think the only time that happened was – if you remember, like, the first game against North Carolina, when he played, he came in and, like, immediately hit a bunch of shots, and everyone just went crazy. 
and then every other game against North Carolina, he's been he's been uh, very cold from uh, from range. But the first game against North Carolina, he exploded and it, and it made everyone excited. So I don't know, just kind of bring it back to uh, good memories there. All right, so uh, yeah, I mean he's he's definitely going to be a big factor, no matter what, good or bad. I mean he's someone that like if Duke's defense is as good as you would hope it can be as it develops, not immediately as it develops, then yeah, hopefully it can cover for someone like O'Connell to just allow him to be aggressive on offense because, yeah, I mean, you really need that. But if the offense is solid enough and you want the defense to be uh, to dictate your rotations, O'Connell's minutes could suffer that. Um, but, hey, it could just vary game to game. Um, all right, Jack White. As I said before, he led the Blue-White scrimmage in assists with six, then led Duke with ten rebounds against Northwest Missouri State. Vocal on defense, physical inside. He was really the only one putting up much of an effort to fight through screens. And, I mean, I think Javin is is kind of – he's past the point of a glue guy. Jack White, I would say, is like the ultimate glue guy. And, uh, again, just an exhibition. But, I mean, he did shoot two of three from – Two of three from a uh, distance, so I won't say that's going to be the uh, make or break. But if he can even make an occasional tray, I mean, everything else he does is so vital. I mean, I he's he, he he's that guy who uh, you just want to have the other guys be around because he's such a uh, kind of a, <laughs> a soothing presence almost. Um, just a, he's a stabilizer. That, that's probably the best way to put it. I think when I talk about it, I wish there was other guys who had more energy. I think Jack White provides the perfect like mood um, to counter what I wish was happening with the energy. Um, so, uh, yeah, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I, I love what Jack White provides, and I just – I hope he can hit three every once in a while. So, Kay will have at least – it would be almost impossible to prevent him from getting some sort of uh, – legit consistent spot in the rotation i I think he could have a have a a great impact on the young guys yeah i mean if nothing else i think he brings right like you said some of that veteran presence the toughness the calmness in a a tough moment through adversity and stuff i mean obviously it is very hard to miss 28 straight shots i I mean (laughs) don't don't hey you don't don't think i can't well i mean it's almost hard to try and miss 28 straight shots if you just keep your same, you know, I think a lot of it at, at the end, I think a lot of it was just impressing and him, you know, using the just pressing and, and, and aiming the ball and stuff like that. I think Jack White has a good enough shot to hit some shots. So I think that, you know, he'll, he'll carve a rollout just for the fact that, you know, he's pretty, it's pretty solid all around. So not great. Won't win probably single-handedly win you a game, but he'll hopefully keep you in one. I was going to say, I mean, you play softball. It's not really the same because, I mean, I guess pitches are mo- mostly come the same speed. If it's slow pitch, I don't know if it's slow or fast, but I, I, I would say it's kind of like a pinch hitter in baseball where you're, you're going to get up at these random times. You're only going to get one plate appearance. There's no rhythm. So Jack White, I mean, he's going through his – he only gets like one shot. A game, and, and like he knows, I've missed a whole bunch in a row. There's no rhythm, 
So I can uh, up to a point. I'm not trying to like make excuses for him, but it's just a valid sort of like I mean shooters it helps to have a rhythm. Bottom line, it helps to have a rhythm. And when you're only shooting one or two a game at random times and you know the pressure's on cuz hey, if I don't start hitting now, then I mean my minutes are just going to keep going down and the fans, they notice. I mean, it was great when he finally broke the streak. I mean, he got a <laughs> ovation, but at the same time, I, it's almost like demeaning at a point. Although I, I know the fans didn't mean it that way. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough when you don't have a good sample size to work with. It's just like randomly you get a shot and, oh, no, I better make it. So, yeah, I, I mean, as I mentioned before, that and the Wake Forest, what almost happened. Um, Ugh. It, it, it was a rough time, but uh, my boy, my boy uh, Mike Buckmeyer came out and he uh, put his arm around him and walked off the court together, and everyone lived happily ever after. I and all was healed. All was healed at that point. Get get Buck in here. Right. They um, and you're right about the whole pinch hitting thing. Just some, I mean, he came in. Jack came in, in a lot of big spots. It's not like Jack was coming in. We were up twenty. Jack was coming in. I mean, Jack was coming in with close games and coming in if guys had foul trouble. So the spots he was coming into out of rhythm were still spots that were somewhat, you know, highly, highly stressful. So, yeah. And um, I, I mean, sometimes I forget, like people will kind of listen in to some podcasts, not listen in to some other podcasts. So although I've said this a bunch, I think it is worth repeating what Jack White did against Jarrett Culver and just Every aspect of the Texas Tech game last year in December when uh, the young guys for Duke, they were still kind of adjusting. I mean, Jack White was the MVP on that court in the second half against Texas Tech. He did everything, and it was just – he was so good that game, and it just – it gets forgotten way too easily because we're so – we move on to the next thing so quickly. But stuff like that, I don't know. I don't forget. I mean, like for me – the little things matter. I know the, the the bottom line end result of the season is what lives on in the history books, but something like all the teammates reacting to Joey Baker making five threes in the first half, the way they reacted to each shot, just genuine, they were genuinely ecstatic. Stuff like that. The, it's contagious. The X's and O's don't matter to me. That's awesome. That's just an awesome thing. Like... I don't know. Stuff like that matters. And what Jack White did against Texas Tech, that matters to me, and that'll, I'll never forget that. So, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Um, so, moving on to uh, Jordan Goldwire. Jordan Goldwire, as I see, like a new, a little bit more advanced defensive version of Tyler Thornton. And um, I think, man, it was just, oh, left such a bad taste in my mouth. Because I was, I was like, how on earth? Did Northwest Missouri State? Because if you if you think about it, let me, let me go. At Northwest Missouri State, they were at thirty nine points. Crap, I don't have the exact time right here. It, with something like five minutes left, thirty nine points with five minutes left. Duke was playing great defense, and then they, they just went crazy. Northwest Missouri State scored its fortieth point with five thirty nine left. And it's 63rd point with 24 seconds left. So, I mean, they just went off. So they scored 24 points in 12 possessions there. So I'm like, all right, so Duke completely shut them down. 
Like, the whole time. I mean, they, they scored on the last possession of the first half and the first possession of the second half. Besides that, I mean, they weren't doing anything. I mean, you, you can kind of look back and remember certain threes if you want because that stands out over misses. But, like, they the, – when another team scores their 40th point with 539 left, your defense is pretty good. So I went back and um, watched how it happened. And it's cringe-worthy. It really is because Goldwire was involved in a lot of that, and a lot of it was just careless and lack of effort. I mean, just I mean, bringing up the ball and just getting it taken right out of your hands, they went in for a layup. Then um, Hudgens goes right by Goldwire the next play. Goldwire just basically reaches, tries to poke it from behind, and just watches. Then he's not able to recover and switch out to Hawkins, who is open because Carrier was forced to leave his man and guard who uh, Goldwire left. So Goldwire doesn't get either, gives up a three. So that's uh, five points right there. And then um, on uh, possession, two possessions later, Hudgens misses a three. Goldwire's man, Bernard, from the baseline, strolls in and converts a putback layup because Goldwire just watches. Like, literally does not, doesn't block, like, literally just watches the shot without moving. So that's seven points right there. On, an, on another play, Hudgens goes right through, he splits Goldwire and her, and Goldwire, he just stands there and watches, and although it went out of bounds for a turnover because Hudgens just lost it, I don't know, I mean, that, stuff like that, and then you think about the exhibition um, or the uh, blue-white scrimmage from before, when towards the end of the game, if you remember, if you watched that far, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't, but that was when there was a slight press at the end. I think Wendell Moore just like took it out of his hands at the end, took it out of Goldwire's hands. And it's just like, it looks, I don't know, there's possessions where it just looks like Goldwire isn't doing anything. And this seems really overly harsh because Goldwire does so many good things, and he his energy is infectious. What he did against Louisville, absolutely. What he what he can pair up with Trey to do, both eye test and stats agree that what he can provide there is awesome. I think what we talked about on a um, on an offseason deep dive in terms of the way you can play two point guards at the same time. One will be uh, the kind of distributor. Another will be the score. That's actually happened already, and Trey has been allowed to play off ball, and that's when he's he's been a pretty good scorer at times with uh, Goldwire being the distributor. So I think I, th- I think it's just it's too easy because there's such a small sample of everything that it sticks out what I watched. But considering that's the only close part of the of the season so far, even if you want to even count that as a season. It's tough to get that out of my head, but soon enough, there'll be lots of other things, but it's just something to keep in mind that the big run, if you want to know how Duke won by quote unquote only six, that run really started and kind of got going with Goldwire, just lack of effort on defense, which is the one thing you would least expect from a player who you would think he comes in and gives max effort all the time. And I think he will. I absolutely think he will. It's just something which stuck out to me. But since this is a season preview, I don't want that to be like a main takeaway of Goldwire. I love what he can provide. It's good that he's not hesitating to shoot the three. I think uh, it's still not going to be pretty most of the time. 
I'm more worried about the free throws. I, I really want to see him be more consistent there. But he is a uh, he's a lockdown defender. So um, what he can what he can do with Trey, I think will be huge. Yeah, I I I like Goldwire. I just don't think skill wise he's very skilled. I mean, in terms of he's good energy, good defensively, good in terms of that end of the floor. But anything you expect from Goldwire from the offensive end is is icing on top of the cake because he's just not. That's really not what we need him in there to do. That's not what we want him in there to do. So, um, I just I, I like Goldwire, and at times you're right. Some like that Louisville game, he's a huge reason why we won. But then there's other times where he looks like a fish out of water, and those are the games that he's going to have a pretty short leash, I think. I mean, he's not creating havoc on defense. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to find a way, a reason to keep To put him in, right. Yeah, and that, that's when I just, I feel bad. Cause, I mean, Tyler Thornton played his butt off all the time, but, I mean, Kay loved him, like, to the point of, like, irrationality like where he was just like he would play over Rashid Sulman he would play over Quinn Cook he would play over guys that they're just like what is going on and I I don't know I mean 2012 you don't want him shooting all those threes like if that's what you're relying on for offense you're damn right I want yeah if, I don't care if Austin Rivers takes a bad shot I want him to take that shot over Tyler Thornton chucking something so I I think what what's going on with me is probably pre- my projection of being worried that Kay's going to use him like Tyler Thornton, and uh, it makes it stresses me out. So I think that that I might be projecting on to it because again I don't want this to come off as anti Jordan Goldwire. I think he is going to provide some great stuff, especially when paired with uh, Trey. All right, so uh, let me let me get back. Uh, who we got next? All right, Wendell Moore. When, when, Wendell Moore, smart, instinctual, aggressive, trusted by K to freelance, still barely scratching the surface of his potential. All right, so that's Wendell Moore's defense. The offense is a train wreck at the moment, like a complete train wreck. So the question is, is it worth giving him time to learn and Force deal to, force Duke to deal with like a huge liability on offense in order to let him in order to allow him to play through the growing pains. I typically say absolutely, but it's also important to recognize Duke's need for anybody who can do anything positive on offense right now. And if he literally can't, then it's a tough situation. Me personally, I would still play him as much as possible, or at least as much as it makes sense to do, because once he really it, it snaps, I think this is the type of guy that. It'll it'll just kind of it'll come together, and then he'll start playing faster. And as the game slows down, it's on. I think right now. I mean, let, let's start shooting. He re, he brings the ball in almost to his chin, and that and his his elbows flare out. It kind of reminds me of the way Mike Bibby used to shoot. I mean, Mike Bibby was a great shooter, and honestly, I've always been of the opinion that repetition and being able just to repeat the same exact motion with the same release every time it's much more important than some sort of textbook form i don't think the form is like people make too big a deal of it it's just repetition is what you want and you don't want messing around with stuff in season too much like that's what the off season is for so 
whatever he's doing. I don't I don't even think it, the the uh, release. There's only like one shot so far I've seen from him when it just really looked awkward in terms of motion and release. I mean, he it's just he he it's, it hasn't gone down. I don't think the shots have looked all that bad. But even per, putting the perimeter shooting aside for the moment, let's look at his other three issues, which it's important to say are still uh, small sample size with extra nerves against weird competition. So uh, first, um, how to use high and side screens. Wendell Moore looks like he's never seen um, a screen, a ball screen for him before. He looks like he's not quite sure where to go, what to do with it, whether he's supposed to dribble off, use it as a pick and roll, um, use it to drive, uh, use it to... It looks like he's not quite sure what to do. And... um, so I think it's just, I mean, that'll, that'll take some time. I mean, it, I do think he's just unsure of himself, just not decisive. There have been a couple of times where he has been decisive, and he just looks like a different player. It's just getting that, kind of breaking him out of that shell. The other, as I mentioned before, with Trey, entry passes, they're terrible. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I, it's just, that's terrible. So show him film, then show him film again, then show him film again, then show him film for the fourth time and just i mean i don't want to i'm not i don't want to say it's easy nothing is easy especially against the type of competition they're going to face but you got to make the entry passes and the third is just dribbling um he 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 looks off balance a lot he there's been a couple of times when he's literally lost his footing when he tries to turn the corner um and i think he i think it all comes down to his overthinking I think the game is moving really fast for him. And I think he's almost, he looks like he's in mud. So, I mean, Wendell Moore is somebody I'm really high on. Might end up the player who has possibly the highest uh, NBA potential. Right now, I think it's just a matter of how patient you can be to turn somebody who makes your offense a negative whether how long you can deal with that to kind of reward it because I think if you stick with it, it won't just be somebody who can be average on offense. I think it's somebody who could be really good by the end of the year and show some of what I think he can do in the NBA. But right now, <laughs> I mean, I can't lie. It's ugly. So uh, what have you seen from him? Yeah, I think you're right. I think the efficiency is not quite there. I think the confidence is the main thing that seems to not be there. So – you know, certain guys like that, it just takes one thing to click and everything kind of falls into place after that. So I do, I see him with the ability and the, but he seems kind of raw to me. He seems rawer to me than, than a, a, a couple of the other type of players we've brought in. Like we've had the Brandon Ingrams, we've had the Tatums, guys like that have come in. You can just see it immediately. Like they're just, they're just comfortable. That's what they're meant to do. I think Wendell Moore is more, I don't know. He just looks, he doesn't look very comfortable right now in, in himself and confident in his ability. So I'm hoping that the bright lights will help with that a little bit, maybe focus him a little more. But I think it's just a matter of time to where I don't know what his potential is going to be, but I know he has potential and I'm hoping that I'm just hoping he reaches it at Duke. He knows it. I've seen a couple interviews with him after games and he is not happy with himself. And right. I like the fact that he's self-aware. I don't. I hope 
that he won't be too self-aware and start overthinking it and even Pressing, thinking about yeah. it during games. Just I want him to actually just kind of, uh, as the kids said probably three years ago, YOLO. Um, so, <laughs> God, I'm old and hard. that was horrible. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, just like who cares? At a certain point, like if I turn it over, my teammates are still going to trust me. My coach is going to have trust in me that he's not going to pull me. That's what – and I just hope if he does make a terrible mistake, if he gets pulled, I'm going to flip out. Because, I mean, you just I, – I want him to be more aggressive. There's, an, there's another guy that I'll talk about in a little bit <clears throat> who it's almost like ten times what I'm saying about Wendell in terms of aggressive. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really high on his potential. I think right now it's just he needs to be more decisive and whatever he wants, but easier said than done. And, uh, yeah, but I do think three months from now, we, we could be talking about him much, much differently, but it wouldn't surprise me to be talking about him that way. All right. Um, Javin Delorier, three, uh, three sentences. I love Javin Delorier. Javin, don't shoot threes. That is all. I think dude checks all the boxes and stuff. I was going to say, just please don't, please don't be a shooter or try to be a shooter, please. It's my it's my third Javon Deloria breakdown. Um, yeah, I, I mean he like he's another guy that you look at the on off stats, you look at the lineup commas, you look at everything, and it agrees with with what I see and what last time I swear to God I'll mention Twitter. People do not like him on Twitter, and because we're so, they're so used to seeing these like elite alphas that I think many have forgotten what it's like to appreciate. The guy who just the team guy, the team the guy who makes everyone better. That is exactly what Javin does. I mean, at, at the beginning of last year, they couldn't even put him on the court. His foul rate was so horrific. I think in the Maui Classic, uh, Maui Invitational, he he had like a foul every like two minutes. It was it was it was crazy. And just from that point to where he got to by the end of the season, I mean, when uh, when Zion was hurt. He stepped up and started playing so much better. Then when Marquise got hurt, even more. I mean, he took on a huge role. And even, like, I think something that Duke didn't really do with any of their other bigs, they used him as a uh, roller or a, not a full, like as a diver. Um, R.J. Barrett, he actually used Javin to throw out of the pick and roll. And that's something Duke just doesn't even do which I wish they did more with, like, Bagley and Carter, but they used Javin at the pick and roll, and I think they he uh, scored on that, like, three times against Michigan State. And it was just so nice to see. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how and where and when they can get Javin on the floor and with what combos. Because I think he, he just affects the game. He's always around the ball. He's always doing... Good things. I think, again, you look at the stats in his last game, or not Fort Valley, uh, Northwest Missouri, you'll see a lot of turnovers, which I don't think were his fault. I think also you have to be self-aware in how you use Javin. You could, don't play through him too much, but there's he just does so many positive things. I, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I'm just, re- I, I like Javin a lot. I agree. I'm a big, I'm a big Javin fan, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see. I think he's going to have a good year. <laughs> 
Show you Joey Baker, Justin Robinson. Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll go Justin Robinson. Kay loves how Justin Robinson talks on the defensive end. It's what I keep hearing nonstop. And I actually said, if you want to look at a guy with a body type most similar to Brandon Ingram, it would be Justin Robinson. Um, he he might be the longest limbed player on the floor. Very Brandon Brandon Ingramish on defense. It's kind of the same deal with him as Wendell Moore but to an even greater extent because of uh, Robinson's lack of upside and growth. So do you risk having a guy on the floor who plays great defense but doesn't provide much offense for a team which is desperate for it? I understand that Robinson did make a three. Um, I'm not sure if you can count on that. I think he could possibly um, be really good in spurts. I think K might be overdoing it. And I'm I'm not saying K doesn't mean every word praising Robinson that he's saying, but I'm not sure he's someone who we should expect to be a consistent part of the rotation. Um, But I think he can definitely help in spurts. And I mean, he's a, uh, he's a grad transfer. He's had that experience, maybe not constantly on the court in games. I think a couple years ago, he actually played some major man's versus Pittsburgh in one game, if, if that's correct. But, uh, I think if nothing else, again, he's someone if the offense is running well and somebody could help on defense. I mean, let's say Hurt is in foul trouble and then you're still scoring points. Hey, bring in Robinson. Provide that uh, length. Or even like maybe you could use him at the five. Like if uh, Kerry gets immediately in foul trouble and it, there's two bigs and uh, Javin can't take two, maybe you put Robinson in there for at least a couple minutes. Get some time. So, I don't know. You could use him just like kind of as needed in a way because I think he's trustworthy that he's going to kind of stick to his role. He's not going to do anything crazy. Yeah, if you're expecting a huge output in terms of offensive or defensive, you know, statistics or anything from Robinson, I think you're going about it wrong. I think he's more of a, like you said, feel out the situation and, and, in an emergency type of situation, he could come in and and make some plays or, or, or help spell other players and foul trouble. But for the most part, I don't think Robinson's going to be a, a huge contributor on this roster. So, All right, we got two more guys. Unless I want to spend at least uh, an hour and a half on Mike Buckmeyer all himself. But, um, all right, so Joey Baker. I mean, he's somebody – I mean, I said Vernon Carey's kind of wait and see. Joey Baker, that times 100. I loved seeing him make the to nail those five first half threes. Even more, I loved his teammates' reaction. I think he made six overall. It does give thought to backup plans. If Duke simply cannot spread the floor, but I'm not going to take any performance against Fort Valley State with uh, – I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. So he might be the biggest wait and see on Duke. I'm at least glad there's not as much potential transfer talk as probably existed a couple weeks ago. Um, I think uh, a big thing is, like, defense. How how is he going to be? But, uh, I I mean, at least his ability to shoot. I mean, Wendell Moore guarded him in uh, in the scrimmage. And I don't even think I, like, heard. I don't don't even – I can't – like, he played 13 minutes. And it was the most invisible 13 minutes imaginable. So just to see him involved is a good sign. So, I I mean, he's a shooter. Shooters need rhythm. So 
Now I want to see if he's in again. I want to see how his defense is because if he can hang, if he can hang with his defense, then yeah, he's going to get more of a uh, more time to potentially show what he can do as a shooter. And we're we're praying Duke can shoot from outside. He's somebody who showed that maybe it's just one game and one scrimmage. There's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, looking at his shot and the highlights over and over again and. Again, I am not comparing him to this player in terms of talent or anything. But his shot from the perimeter reminded me of Singler. Like, he had a type of flat foot, type of Singler-type rotation, and completely different players. But watching it, I'm like, I started getting excited of, okay, maybe this is truly the guy we're going to be getting, a guy that has some height from the outside that's not truly a stretch four or anything like that. He's more of a... To me, he seems more of a small forward type body than he would a stretch four, but just showed the ability to another guy to stretch out the floor a little bit and, and to hit a jump shot. So you know, I think we're going to go with whoever has the hot hand, and if he's got it one to game, then he's going to get a lot of minutes compared to other games where he may not be shooting the ball well. So, you know, it's another guy that can shoot, another guy that, that brings some, some versatility to that part of the game, and you know, we're going to need all hands on deck this year because, we, again, like you mentioned, we don't have those true alphas that we've had in the past. So, Yeah, for some reason, I, I guess I was kind of like you, uh, maybe from what, from what you're saying. like I thought he was taller than what he is. I looked up. Yeah. And, yeah, I saw he was 6'7". I was like, I thought he was bigger than that. So, yeah, definitely not a stretch four. No. All right. So here's where I need to be careful. Here's where I really need to be careful because um, – I, I am I am in basketball love with Cassius Stanley. Like, I I need I need to uh, I'm about to send him a uh, a Vermont teddy bear or something. Oh my, he is. I mean, he's he's nothing like what I expected. I don't even know what I expected. But I mean, from the first kind of uh, play where he was allowed to create, not allowed, but where he had the opportunity to create, where he split two defenders in the blue white scrimmage dribbling from from the back in between his legs and then hit a crazy floater. I still don't think that play is appreciated the way it should be. I don't know if only dunks are appreciated by uh, the casual fan, but that was that was one of the most ridiculous plays I've ever seen. I do not care if that was in an exhibition or scrimmage. Or what. That was insane. I do not think people realize just how skilled that was. And then there was another play where he, he shuffle stepped and beat uh, Moore off the dribble, and I mean he's he hit a three. His defense is just insane. He can he actually brought the ball up when uh, Trey took a short rest as as the point guard. I, I I'm see the big thing is whether he's just really 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 been efficient, and I think that's kind of. It's just good to see him be as efficient and kind of execute every single time and with more volume. I don't know if he could keep that up. So that's the one thing. Or if kind of, as I mentioned before, is this a sign of something where if you give him a higher volume, a higher usage, are we, is he going to be able to like really start like kind of breaking out because He's just, he's, he's really, I don't know, there's a calm factor that it's almost like a sort of weird combination of, uh, I would say Rodney Hood and early Gerald Henderson. 
like raw Gerald Henderson, but I would say he's more skilled than early Gerald Henderson. And Rodney Hood was kind of just he he had plenty of opportunities. He would just kind of you never knew when he would be aggressive and when he would just kind of not do anything. Cassius Stanley, it seems like he's just it's almost like they've put a a yellow light on him. And then once a, every like a, a couple times a game, they'll they'll like make, they'll turn it green and he just like goes, and but it's but he's never out of control. There was one play where he kind of forced some sort of uh, lefty shot in the lane, and I didn't even mind it because like, I mean everything he's done looks natural within the uh, kind of the within the offense. And nothing is forced. It's just he's making the right plays all the time. Moves insanely well off the ball. Smart. He's so calm to the point where it's like unnerving. I don't know. I think. I mean, he's someone who. I, I mean, it's a wait and see, but it's a very, very, very excited wait and see to see if a higher volume can possibly. I don't know. I, I mean, it's just right now there's nothing I've seen from him that he hasn't done well. It, it, like, so again, it's being very careful. I, I'm, I do understand the level of competition I've watched. I do understand the fact that, yeah, just because if you, if you get like five chances a game and you convert all five, it doesn't mean if you get 25 chances a game or convert all 25 – it's just his efficiency has been off the charts. And when you combine it with the athleticism and then, I mean, the defense, he's not giving K any reason to take him off on defense. I'll say that. I mean, he is a, in attack mode and he's switching. He's talking. I don't know. Am I like, if I'm overreacting, if you've seen something different, let me know. No, I think now and the efficiency numbers obviously are going to regress. You would assume. I mean, you obviously can't keep up that level of output without having some bumps in the road. But I look at him in terms of, I think I think the kid's special. I think he has great knowledge of the game. I think he plays with great energy, but also plays under control, which is hard to, there's a very fine line for being over, like out of control and playing fast. You know, like he plays, I don't know, he just, he, Tuesday, he should be in the backcourt with Trey. And the starting lineup, like I, I think he's earned that right so far. But I look at it in terms of, I think he can be the one that takes that next step and becomes even more of an important factor on that team over Wendell Moore. I think he has the ability to, from everything I've seen, and again we've talked, the competition has been not great, but all signs point to you know being excited. And, and, and I think this kid, I think he's for real. Well, hold up. Well, um, you're saying uh, Wendell Moore, why, why wouldn't he be able to play small forward? No, what I mean is I think he's going to be more of a focal point to this team than oh, than okay. would Wendell Moore. Because I think he just, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know what it is at this point. But right now, he seems to look like he's much further along than Wendell Moore. Okay, well, here's where we can, I mean, now that we've kind of gone over all the players, here's where we can kind of, not predict or project. I mean, just wonder because, uh, I mean, is this the type of team that you think it's going to be like vital to come out and get like energy immediately? 
Or do you think it's a team that can, it's more important to kind of have that burst after a couple minutes? Because I do believe that Cassius Stanley is starter worthy. But I think what he can provide as a jolt coming off the bench after a couple minutes, and I mean, that doesn't make him any less than a starter. It's uh, almost like when John Shire came off the bench in his sophomore year, he was the sixth man. I mean, uh, Corey McGetty did in 99. I mean, obviously those were different types of teams, but I don't know. But on the other hand, O'Connell still provides that jolt of energy, but Stanley... I don't know, it's a different, it's a more under control type of energy. So I don't know, I, that, that's what I'm just wondering. I'm not saying one or the other, it's just, would you would you rather have what Stanley provides coming and giving a jolt off the bench, or would you would you want O'Connell, or should they both come off the bench? And But wait, who would start at shooting guard? Um, I guess you could start Goldwire with Trey. So, I, I, I mean, there's, I mean, there are, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Case says there are options. There are definitely options. I don't know with, with uh, I think when when I've seen O'Connell and Stanley play together, I think O'Connell gets very ball. I mean O'Connell gets ball dominant whenever you get him the ball. I think that's his role. I mean everyone got, always got upset at RJ for like shooting a lot. I mean that was his role. That's what K told him to do. Like when your general tells you to do that, you do it. And they weren't running any sort of offense. So I mean it was like. Unless RJ was going to be doubled, he would just take his man. So that's why I'm saying this season, K needs to help and run actual sets. But if, if O'Connell's job is to come in there and just kind of really create, then that's what he's going to do. So it, it might make it tough to get as much usage of, uh, out of Stanley. I mean, I know I'm overthinking this, and that's the fun part of it right now. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have options. You know, we had pretty much set in stone. We knew what, what the lineup was going to be, what we had to do, and if it worked or whether it didn't work, that's what we had. This year it's a little different. We can see if he's better suited in the starting lineup, if he's better suited coming off the bench, if he's better, you know. So we have a ton of different avenues to go. I just hope that once we find one that works, we stick with it. Who would you, if, if you could say there is a Duke player of the year, not not national. Like, who would you say is Duke's MVP this year? Trey. I think Trey will be. I think Trey will eventually. I mean, he'll do so much and affect so much on both ends of the floor. I think, I think my my bet would be Trey. Yeah, I, I think if uh, if you don't go by stats, I think, or if you're not swayed by stats, because I, I think Trey will make everyone better. And he will cause great stats. Um, I will say, Trey, who would you say is going to uh, be a breakout type of player? I'm saying O'Connell. I think O'Connell is going to have a really good year. I really do. I think that he's going to find some consistency, or maybe I should say hope. He's going to find some consistency from from the offensive end. And I think that will – I think he'll be a, a, a nice, you know – jolt to to what it seems to be kind of a deeper Duke team than usual. I mean, it's tough to really say. I mean, Goldwire is going to do what he does on defense. I'm just not sure how consistent that'll be. Um, Baker, it's a wait and see. Jack White, I would say, like, his first part of last season was a breakout, so the only way he could be breakout is if he really – 
um, has a great full season, and I think he can provide a lot. I'm not sure it'll be visible stat-wise, but yeah, I think O'Connell would be the best option to use just in terms of how breakout is used in that respect. Um, Because, I mean, Javin Delorier, I mean, he is already... I I don't know what more... I think he's already great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's really... He's not going to start averaging like 20 a game or anything. Is there any other topics uh, you think are like... uh, Best for... uh, MVP freshman. Most valuable MVF. I think Matthew Hurt will be that. I think Matthew Hurt, just the the importance of what he's going to be on the offensive end, his ability to knock down perimeter shots. I'm, I want to see what he can do in the paint a little bit or with his back to the basket if if he has any sort of skill set in that matter on this level. But I think just in terms of our the fluent, like the fluency of our offense and our ability to, to get baskets, I think he's going to play a huge role in that. Man, I want to I want to disagree. I think I guess these the answers are a little more obvious than I initially thought. I mean, I'll say I will hope just because I'm a I'm a believer. I don't know if it's rational or not as of yet, and if it's not, I'm more than willing to to say like I don't just jump on bandwagons and stick there for no reason. But uh, right now, if he gets the opportunity for higher usage. I'll I'll say Cassius Stanley, I'll I'll, I'll say it. I'll go bold there. Um, what other topics? Are there? I, I don't know how bold you'd be going. I don't know how bold you'd be going because it was a toss up between Hurt and Cassius Stanley for me. So uh-huh. it wasn't even going to be yeah, it was going to be one of those two guys. So okay, here, here's one. Um, how many will be in the end of the year rotation? How many? will get more than in, – in Duke's final close game of the season, how many will get more than 20 minutes? Name, name them. Stanley, Trey, Hurt, Wendell, Carey. I mean, um, yeah, Vernon will be there. Um, I'll go with Javin, and I'll go with O'Connell. Seven. I just, have a, I, I just have this feeling like Kay really loves Goldwater. It, 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 no, he was actually going to be the eighth I would throw in there. It wouldn't have been Baker, and it wasn't going to be Jack White for me. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what. Despite it being proven beyond a shadow of a doubt what Kay does, I will actually, barring an injury... I'll say those eight guys more than twenty because as as I said before, usually it's six guys and then five to fifteen minutes. So I actually said twenty minutes. He's going to get twenty when it usually the question is thirty. Right. Um, are you talking about Jordan? Are you talking about Jordan Thornton or Tyler Goldwire? What we're going to be calling him all year? Uh, he's going to play I, a lot. He's going to play a lot. And the fact of the matter is, is it going to cause me to have to take antacids, or am I going to enjoy him on the court? I mean. The, <laughs> Jordan Goldwire, your your eighth man of the rotation. It's gonna be interesting because, like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can play like a Stanley with that three unless you unless you're really going small. Because that's that'll be interesting. All right. Um. All right. You got anything else to add? I mean, this was uh, we pretty much went into 
everything. I'm just excited. I'm excited for Tuesday, and I'm not excited for Tuesday. All in the same breath. So are you are you going? I was gonna go. So I have off Tuesday. It's, it's election day Tuesday. So I was I was not gonna go, and then I wanted to go, and now I'm just kind of putting all my eggs into the Greensboro basket when I'm going to the ACC tournament. So nice. Yeah, because this uh, season preview, as I mentioned, this is one where I didn't even, I'm not concerned with time. Everything else, it, we're, we're, I'm going to come in and really cover what needs to be covered. I'm not I'm not going to worry too much other times, but I'm, it's not going to be any sort of marathon. I mean, the offseason, that's what those were for. I appreciate anyone who listened to those. For this, I, I hopefully this gives a good intro to kind of the way I think about certain players and the way I develop opinions and kind of they are fluid, just like everything. But uh, I am I, I kind of allow everything to develop before I start making anything close to definitive statements. I avoid the hot takes. So if you want true analysis from somebody who just it's not robotic, somebody who really tries to find the hot, the how and the why while rooting for the team, then uh, this is really the podcast that's on a different tier than any other Duke podcast out there. It is the go-to podcast for Duke basketball analysis. And if you are interested in co-hosting, get at me, DukeBasketballCorner at Gmail. Any questions, comments, if you have any inquiries about anything, DukeBasketballCorner at Gmail. I am hopefully going to get my website uh, DukeBasketballCorner.com open. It's not live right now. I'm still, if I can't, I mean, I'm terrible at technology. If I can't get that going, then I'm just going to start writing without worrying about too much uh, any of the other stuff, how pretty it is. And that's probably what I should have done in the first place. But I will be giving analysis there as well. So stick with me. There will be plenty of uh, more Duke talk to come. The next time uh, you will hear me is after Duke has one game under their belt, Kansas, may, possibly another, but I'd like to at least get something out after that game, hopefully with Joe. If not, I'll do some solo, but either way, Joe, we uh, thanks, thanks so much for joining me. This was the final marathon bef- uh, before the season. So, yeah, usually we'll have a uh, closing 180. I think this one, I, it's better just to wrap it up. We've covered enough. I am Adam Comero. Thank you so much for listening to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I will be talking to you soon.